Um, anyway, if you could like talk a little bit about how you got into this stuff and how that you got connected with the combat hippies and how that. Well, actually, just introduce yourself first. Uh. <laughs> well, um, as you, you know, know, my name is Alan Miner. I uh, I actually. I'm a, I'm a novelist. I'm not, I never even delved into the world of poetry until, um, my cousin, Anthony, Anthony Torres called me up and said, you know, we're doing this veteran workshop, uh, and we'd like you to, uh, attend, maybe write a few poems, uh, and then we'll do a, a, an open mic at the end. It obviously evolved into a lot more than that. And, uh, where, where was the veteran workshop? It was down in Miami, here in Florida. Where in Miami? Uh, he is, he is. No, no, where in Miami was the workshop? Oh, Miami-Dade College. Okay, cool. The main campus? Yeah, downtown? yeah. Cool. And um, prior to that show, I found myself completely nervous, expectedly, so I decided to start doing some poetry slams, and it just took off from there, and I... I still continue forward with the combat hippies trying to spread the message of post-traumatic growth, but I also uh, try and do it on my own as well, individually. Right. Um, so are you a veteran, too? I am. I'm an Army veteran. Okay, cool. Did you serve uh, um, in, in the... Where, where were, yeah, where did you do your service? I'm actually the only member of the group who has not deployed. Okay. <laughs> um... I was mortuary affairs, uh, so I processed the remains of the fallen soldiers and all of their personal effects. I performed funeral ceremonies. So most of my work was here stateside. Um, I was stationed out of Virginia most of the time, though I did go to like Maryland and Delaware and places like that. All right. Um, I forget who... Uh, one of the things uh, that I saw of the Combat Hippies videos that struck me was that... Uh, I believe it was the word uh, uh, service in Latin, servitas. You know? Servitas, yes, yes. Um, and that really struck my attention. I don't know who came up with that, 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 that thing with the servitas. <laughs> That's actually a uh, group piece that we, um, we collaborated on. I, I wrote the bulk of it. And then the different sections inside the, the real meat of the poem, that's where each of us came up with our own sections. And Servetus, uh, the, the ultimate goal of the poem was to dissect the word service. Uh, because we know that there's a lot of vets out there who they get back from deployment or they, they get out of the service and people thank them for their service and they feel completely awkward. Because they have no idea why the person is thanking them. And on that same token, I know I've talked to a lot of uh, civilians who feel the same way. They don't know whether they should thank them or what they should do or anything like that. So we really wanted to, to delve into the idea of thank you for your service and what service really means to different people and to service members and so on and so forth. Yeah, the, the thing that grabbed me was the idea how that, that you sort of flipped it on that, the idea that people sort of, what was it, part of the root of service, something being enslaved or something, or I'm not sure, or like uh, that the idea that your, your, certainly your thoughts are serving you, something, that connection. I'm sorry? Yeah, well, the thing that grabbed me about the poem, the piece about the Servitas is something about how you talked about 
or I don't know which member was specifically was talking about how that you, you that you can be sort of slave to your thoughts and the uh, the slave to the memory. Yes, yes, and it, it sort of um, encompasses the whole post-traumatic growth thing, which yeah. is really what we're we're pushing for. Right. The idea that you know um, all of these these thoughts and memories and all of that um, may seem haunting, but in the end, we can use them for our own personal growth. And oh, how did you uh, how do you particularly get connected with the, the whole post-traumatic growth? Uh, uh, concept. Um, I think that's why I'm, I'm like, uh, hmm, how do I put it? <laughs> like I said, I mean, I, I work with the, uh, the combat hippies and I've also tried to branch out individually to, um, spread the same message because I feel that there's a, there's a circle of veterans. And though the combat hippies are, yes, trying to, bridge that gap between the veteran and the civilian community. Uh, I also feel that there's a, a community of civilians within the, obviously within the uh, mental health community who they may not feel like they have a voice and the combat hippies are fantastic for offering a voice to the veterans who cannot speak for themselves. And I, I personally want to try if possible, to be that voice for both through the combat hippies as a veteran, but also as an individual for those who grew up and maybe experienced traumas or as adults experienced traumas, right. whatever, but they're, they're experiencing those mental health issues. Right. And, and um, I mean, the way I look at it, I, I think, I mean, I don't really believe so much in the mental health diagnoses like the schizophrenia, bipolar, ADD, and, and, I think almost all of that stuff can be breaking down that there's generally some kind of trauma that went on that sort of produced those symptoms. And, and that's, um, yeah, that's a more of the larger mission. I'd like to spread awareness about that. And, and I'm sure you've probably heard the concept to me, the whole one of the, 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 the shift in the perspective is the not asking the question, what's, what's wrong with somebody asking them what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a toughy stuff. I said toughy. It's it's a tough subject to um, to approach for a lot of people, right. and I feel that's the the overall mission of all of us, right. uh, of the combat hippies, of or anyone really, to start that conversation. And that conversation can be very difficult to start. Sure. Um, and and I feel that's where the our mission statement is. The mission statement of the combat hippies and the mission statement of myself as an individual in uh, the mental health community to start that conversation and show the world, you know, um, and I, I believe I, I said it in an interview once, um, there's such a stigma surrounding mental health that we don't even want to talk about it. And I feel that if we were to make it a common, maybe not a common subject of conversation, but something that is comfortably spoken about, yeah. then maybe that would help some people seek help right. in for whatever they're dealing with. And I wonder what your perspective on this is, is uh, from being a veteran and, you know, being in that community is, that I, I've read a lot of research that talks about that it's not, not necessarily the people that develop the, you know, what they call post-traumatic uh, stress disorder is not always related to what happened on the battlefield. It's often the people that have had um, 
stuff in their childhood or stuff prior toward toward before they went out in the battle is really they're very much more vulnerable to developing the full fledged PTSD than other people that had the the, the the better relationships and stuff prior to going into combat or. On the- yeah, that makes sense. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's um, it's like having a uh, a cracked egg. That cracked egg is more prone to breaking. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. That's a terrible analogy. Oh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> um, so you do work in the mental health community as well? Uh, I do not. I do okay. not. <laughs> more of a, uh, I guess, a voice to... to yeah, I'm, I'm actually a writer, and there's certain, um, I feel that I've been granted the opportunity to uh, spend a little bit more of my time in writing and dedicating it to my poetry and my, my novels and such, um, and because of that, that's why I try to use that that free time to uh, to bring awareness as an advocate and so on and so forth. Um, but I do not work in the mental health community, okay. oddly enough. <laughs> gotcha. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about how the, uh, the uh, that, uh, your, 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 um, uh, poem, is it a poem? What do you call it? A poem? Is it, uh, they say? Yeah. Yeah. My spoken word piece. Spoken word piece. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, you know what? I was talking to someone who shall remain nameless. <laughs> but I was talking to someone and they were telling me it was shortly after the whole Robin Williams thing happened. Um, and we were just discussing our views on everything. And they were telling me about how they felt like uh, the concept of dying by suicide is selfish. Right. Uh, and of course, giving me all of the reasons as to why it would be selfish, the same reasons that anyone would give. Um, and Though I've always been able to understand that point of view, I don't necessarily agree with it. So I decided, you know, I want to write a um, some sort of piece or uh, an, even an essay. I wanted to write something and put it out there uh, talking about the opposite end of the spectrum, the part that people don't get to hear because there's a lot of loud voices out there who are saying, you know, it's selfish, it's selfish, it's selfish, but there's not very many loud voices out there who are saying, maybe there's more to it than just waking up and deciding this is something that I want to do today. <laughs> and that's that's ultimately where that came from. Uh, I want to ask you a question related to mental health. Is that, You know, I think it's great people are talking more about mental health, but I'm really, uh, I think they need to be talking about it in the right way. And I think the work you guys are doing, and to me, is the right way to talk about it. But and I really think it has to be, uh, there's a lot of times, that I, the way I look at a lot of mental health issues, is there's a lot of fucked up things in society. And if people, and then, you know, they just want to diagnose people and say they have mental health problems. And, and I see a lot of the mental health problems are related, or sort of reaction to a lot of the, 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 all the, a lot of the fucked up things that are in society. I was wondering what your, your opinion on that is. <laughs> I completely agree. Actually, I was just talking to that very idea with someone uh, not that long ago, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, but we were talking about the idea that um, as society has progressed, it seems like mental health, our mental health as humans has degressed or regressed. Um, Addiction particularly, too. I'm sorry? Addiction as well, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) 
And I'm, I'm not really sure where that correlation comes. I'm sure there's a million different uh, ideas of where or how that could come about. We are relying more on technology than we are on our own mental skillness, yeah. our skill sets. Um, there's a million different reasons why that could happen, but I think that uh, it's blatantly obvious that as time has gone on, either we've become more mentally ill as a human species, or we're just trying to maybe make humanity a little bit more docile. I, I'm not really sure about that. I'm sure there's lots of speculation as to it. But uh, yeah, I was wondering if you, I'd recommend you check it out if you've never seen it. It's, it's one that I think a lot of people maybe have not have seen. The, uh, Martin Luther King did this speech and he called, he, he sort of was talking about mental health issues in the like maybe late 1960s. And he, uh, I'm sure you probably have heard the term, like they say somebody who's, you know, having some mental health challenges is maladjusted. You know, have you heard that term? Are they not well-adjusted to society kind of thing? I've heard the term, but I'm not 100% familiar. Okay, it's just saying basically, you know, they're, they're basically one of the ways that you look at mental health issues uh, is basically from, you know, like the average, like the average people uh, behave in a certain way. And if you're too far from the average, you could, you could be called that you have a mental health problem. But, or, yeah. And that, that's basically one way to look at it anyway. But Martin Luther King was saying about related to this concept of maladjusted, he was saying that, you know, that maybe to these people there, he referred to as creatively maladjusted and that, you know, that there's something wrong with society that the, and these people are frustrated and that they're, they, they're, their mental illness is sort of what he called a creative maladjustment. And, he, and um, I just like that term, creative maladjustment. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I know that um, within the... Uh, on the patient side, yeah. there's a lot of people who talk about well, um, that very idea that right. maybe it's not us, maybe it's society. Right. So <laughs> and mean, I remember um, it reminds me of a, a quote that I heard once, uh, and it's a completely fictional quote from a movie called um, 12 Monkeys. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware of it. It had Brad Pitt in the early 90s. I've never seen it, but I heard it's a good movie. Well, um, it, it's a completely irrelevant movie, but the quote, it, it said um, it was a guy in a psych unit, and he said that, uh, quote, they say, I have an anxiety disorder, but who wouldn't have an anxiety disorder if they really looked at their life? Whose life is that perfect? Who really loved that, that, that quote, those words? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that people, I, I also don't really look at it. I was talking to this other this psychiatrist recently, and, and he, like, the really the, the intended mental health diagnoses are supposed to be that it's, it's like a spectrum. Like, everybody can be a little bit depressed or a little bit anxious, but they sort of draw a line when, when it goes to this end, then it's, uh, you know, disorder. And it's just, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a range. It's not a, but, um, it's not like it's not like cancer where you know that this is clearly a disease and this is normal. <laughs> but um, I'm wondering what what would you say that inspires your uh, your poetry and your spoken word stuff around any particular influences that you have that you draw inspiration from? I do. Um, I well, from a few different places. I of course watch and I, 
uh, other poets and I go to different poetry slams and such. Um, But a big thing that I draw from are my own personal experiences and memories. I found that um, when I first joined the Combat Hippies, uh, way back when when we were... I'm sorry? How many years ago was that? Oh, this was not that. This was about a year-ish ago, maybe a year, a few months. But um, I was actually in a... As a mental health patient, I was actually in a very bad place mentally. And through writing about it, um, I wrote the poem, I Have a Name, which was about my father, and I put that as it's part of our show. Uh, I discovered that me writing about these things, these deeply personal uh, feelings and memories that I have, not only were they helping me to process them, uh, because I realized that I, I had never really fully processed them, right. but they not only helped me to process them, but after the shows when I and after poetry slams and such, when people would approach me, I realized that, oh, they're helping other people process them as well. People who can maybe take those ideas and they can apply their own uh, experiences to them and they can really relate to them. Uh, and so ultimately that's where my, the bulk of my, uh, my inspiration has come from the idea that I can use my own personal experiences to a process my, my crap, but also to be help others process there or maybe inspire them to pick up the pen or pick up the paintbrush or whatever and process their own stuff through that way. So you've had experience with the mental health system yourself as a patient? I have, I have. Uh, quite a, a bit of extensive experience. Oh yeah, what, when, uh, if you don't mind sharing, what was the first, uh, when, was the, when did it start, your experience with that? Well, I've, I've experienced it from an outsider's point of view um, all my life because my mother is um, schizophrenic. Yeah. Uh, and like many schizophrenics who are not um, treated well, she early on she turned to drugs and alcohol and right. used that to cope, and it's just gotten worse over the years. Uh, so she's been in and out of hospitals and things like that. So I experienced it as an outsider all my life. And then when I was around 20 years old, um, that's when my own symptoms really started to set in. Uh, my I'm diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and PTSD. Uh, and they really started to set in, like I said, around 20 years old. And my I was actually hospitalized uh, for a few times. Um, starting regarding, regarding that, did you ever have the experience while in when you were hospitalized, have a psychiatrist, doctor tell you that you weren't uh, going to be able to have a normal life or, or be able to work or have a girlfriend or, or partner or whatever? Did they ever have that experience? Um, you know, I had a slight similar experience, um, not even that long ago. It was maybe a year or two ago. Uh, and I immediately said, you know, I'm not 100% comfortable with this, uh, with this therapist. And I requested a different therapist who's been fantastic. She's been with me now for, uh, over a year, but, um, yeah, when when that happens, there's this is a person of 
huge influence within your life, especially someone who uh, is in the psychoanalytic field. Yeah. Uh, and for them to say, you know, um, this is not going to get better. Right. This is something that may get worse, but at the very least, you're going to be at this place forever. Right. Uh, to have someone that influential say that, in that can be really damaging. That can yeah, make, hard. and it did. It made things worse for me for a while because I really took that to heart or to head, as it were. <laughs> well, I know I cut you off a little bit, but I wanted to ask that question. But what were you, uh, you were saying that um, um, when you were, Forget where you were exactly when I when you said you were in the hospital and, and you were sort of telling the story. Oh yeah, no, I um, I was just saying you know my first uh, experience as a patient was around or my first experience hospitalization was around 20, 21 years old. Um, since then, I've experienced both sides of the fence. Um, I've presented at places such as the uh, the Miami VA and things like that. So I've, I've seen both sides of the fence, and that's something that I, I try to bring with me. I actually spoke to uh, NAMI. I'm sure you're familiar with NAMI. Um, I spoke with NAMI, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and they invited me to one of their conferences, and they asked that I specifically bring that unique mindset, that unique point of view, uh, because they will be presenting to police officers about the um, Baker Act, about the idea of Baker Acting, and they wanted to have it from both a uh, from both sides of the fence, from both points of view. And so, yeah, they wanted me to write a piece about that, and that's something that, like I said, I I feel that, or I try to bring to the table when I write my poetry or I give my my public speaking announcements or whatever. So are you involved with any of the whole, what do you think about the whole, like, uh, the mental health uh, survivor movement? Are you familiar with that? I'm sorry? You heard of this, like, the mental health or psychiatric survivor movement? I have not, no. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's one way of saying it, or the peer peer support communities and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the survivor one, it's a little bit more of a radical sect of that for people that are sort of anti- Psychiatry and that kind of stuff, but it's. Uh... Uh, I've met them. <laughs> I'm uh, me personally. I'm. I accept both sides of the the coin. You know, if it doesn't work for you, fantastic. Um, there are other options. Right. Medical marijuana. You yeah. want to go and smoke some peyote? Do what you want to do. Do what works for you. Um. I try to encourage people not to down-talk either side of the fence yeah. just because what doesn't work for one person may work for another. I know a lot of people who are not keen of therapy, not keen of the, the mental health community, and so they, they advocate against it. But me personally, I've had a lot of great experiences with therapy. I have had some bad experiences, yes, but I've had a lot more great experiences and I feel that it's been very helpful for me. That's good. So well, what, what, was, um, what was helpful to you about the, the great experiences? Like what, what made those great? The, the particular therapist or? Um, yes, actually. The, the therapist that I have right now, she um, she's a psychoanalyst and I had... 
I've been through at least, oh, I don't know, half a dozen or more therapists, <laughs> um, which is not horribly uncommon, but I've been through a lot of different therapists and I've never found one that I've truly connected to. I've, I've had long-term therapists that I've, I've uh, gone to sessions and, and had a cordial relationship with, but none that I truly connected with and felt comfortable in all aspects. And until I actually found that, I didn't know what I was missing, how amazing it is to be able to really open yourself up and not fear uh, what they're going to think or what they're going to say or anything of that sort, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that this therapist is here for you. And I, I feel that that's something that even though it took six or eight therapists to find that, I feel that that's something that people should be able to experience. I feel that, um, and that's why I sort of get frustrated when people say, well, I went to two therapists and they were both crap and I never want to go to therapy again. No, you know, you're going to experience bad therapists just like you're going to experience bad coworkers. But yeah, if bad you restaurants. <laughs> or yeah, bad boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever, there's bad people out there. But if you stick with it, you're going to find that good one. And that makes it all worth it. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about it when actually we were talking about the influences. Have you ever, the, the one spoken word guy that I think is awesome, uh, I want to listen to more of his stuff, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's Shane. He has this thing, the To, to This Day Project. Shane Koizan. Yeah, I love you. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I think he's awesome. But you like he's him. actually probably one of my biggest influences, oh, I'd yeah? say. Yeah. Um, He's absolutely amazing. I, I hope that one day I get the opportunity to, to meet him. <laughs> no, he just is a beast in terms of the spoken word stuff. But how, uh, and related to that, actually, what, any, um, any advice for people that how, how you get into uh, doing the spoken word? Is it you start doing poetry? Or is that a good foundation for it? How do, how do, you, uh, how do you recommend uh, getting that going? Um. I'd say look to the uh, look to the internet. The internet is awesome. Google is my best friend. <laughs> but look to the internet and find different um, different venues that may have poetry slams. If you type in Google poetry slam in my area, you'll find it. Um, and if you find if you don't find one, there's a lot of establishments that are awesome with uh, hosting them. If you just ask them, but find a poetry slam and just. Go and watch one or two and see how they flow. Look on YouTube and look up uh, uh, spoken word poetry. But once you get the the general gist of it, then simply write. I like I love the idea of free writing, both as a creative tool and as a psychological tool. Just put that pen to paper and just start writing whatever comes to mind. And as you write, you may find that uh, rhythm starts to set in. Well, how often do you do that daily, the uh, the writing practice like that, the free writing? I try to do it at least a few times a week, um, mainly because I am prone to writer's block, yeah, yeah. <laughs> surprisingly yeah. enough. Um, but I also, uh, random ideas and things, memories will pop into my head. Uh, I wrote a poem. It's actually on my YouTube channel. I wrote a poem about a girl that I once knew named Cassie, uh, and she was a domestic abuse survivor. And 
that her story just kept rolling in my head one day for some reason. And so I just decided to write out her story, just write out everything that I remembered that she had ever told me and that I'd ever read or anything of that sort and or been told. And ultimately that grew into a poem in itself. Uh, but that's that's exactly what I was just talking about, just taking those random experiences and writing them out, and eventually you'll find, you may find a rhythm. Gotcha. Um, uh, what would you say do you find is, what's the, what, do you, what do you think is the relationship between uh, creativity and mental illness or mental health? I don't really like to use the term illness, but mental challenges or mental health issues. I'm, I'm actually the exact same way I tried it. I never use the term mental illness, not because I... I I disband it or I want to stay away from it. Um, but I think uh, mental health issue sounds a little bit more uh, acceptable. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. But um, personally, I feel that art and creativity, it's a, it's a realm of expanded consciousness. Uh, it does not exist when you think inside the box. True. You cannot really, uh, you can't really, let me not, I'm speaking in generalities. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really grasp or capture the artistic realm without uh, looking at things a little bit differently, turning them at a certain angle. And mental health issues allow us to see the world that way all the time. <laughs> so emotions, whereas some of us may experience an emotion for a brief moment, oh, well, that's so pretty, and then we walk on, some with mental health issues may get fixated on that beautiful sunset or whatever it is. They may get fixated on the on love or hatred or sadness or whatever, that emotional core that we all feel. And when they get fixated on that, it's then possible to take that and apply creative license. Um, you can pick up the paintbrush and it may look like a glob of paint to someone else, but that may look like how you feel inside. And that's ultimately where we come up with our impressionistic phases of certain painters and things like that. Yeah. Um, there's actually this guy that has a, cra a really crazy story that I met uh, in uh, this uh, workshop I went to in Philly. That's, I'm from the Philly area originally. And he, uh, um, this guy actually witnessed his father kill his mother when he was like uh, a kid. <laughs> And he ended up testifying against his father. And, but anyway, but one of the things that he, the concept that he likes to talk about is basically, I think it's relevant to the post-traumatic growth, like apply, taking a creative license with your life and your life story and your memories and trying to, that you can basically, you know, rewrite your own narrative by, he, he, he sort of uses that term creative license on, on your own life story, which I think is good. That guy is the champion of post-traumatic growth. <laughs> That's a, a serious, serious situation there. Yeah, I mean, you don't really get much more serious than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he talks about his own struggle, how he wanted, he wanted to kill his own father at one point, but they sort of reconciled, and his father was in jail for a long time, and they sort of made it amends, but his father passed away uh, probably recently, though. 
So you have a book out, or you're working on a book? Um, I have a book of poetry. Book of poetry, right. Um, it's called The uh, Borderline Between Life and Poetry. <laughs> um, but I'm, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm by, I don't want to use the term by trade, but I'm, I'm a novelist at heart. <laughs> uh, so I do prefer fiction novels. However, as I've been processing in the past couple of years, my own experiences through poetry, uh, I decided, you know, I want to take, I, I had this huge notebook and I decided I want to take all of these and put them in written form and give them to the world to do what they will. Because most of my poetry, I do have a few that are uh, specific to me. All the line, every single line is specific to me. But most of my spoken word poetry, I try to keep it slightly general so that other people can take that and apply their own experiences to it. Um, the poem, I Have a Name, which, like I said, we used that in the show. Um, though there is a big chunk in there that's my own experience of meeting my father for the first time and so on and so forth. I also, the majority of the poem is simply surrounding the idea of a, an absentee father. So I try to keep it pretty general so that people can, like I said, apply their own experiences. Well, yeah, that's one that a lot of people, unfortunately, can, can relate to. I mean, unfortunately that they had that experience. It's, it's fortunate that they can relate to you, but it's unfortunate that they had an absentee father. But. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, um, I found that that's probably... Which is completely odd. I actually wrote that poem in about a half an hour-ish. Sat down and just wrote it all out. Uh, one draft. It's the only poem that I've never actually gone through and reread and all that stuff. And oddly enough, that's the one that I received the most positive feedback for. Uh, people absolutely love that poem. And I think that's because, like you said, that's something that has become prevalent within our society, the absentee father. So you're in the Daytona area? I am. I am. Uh, just south of Daytona, but yeah. What town? Uh, Port Orange. Port Orange, yeah. Um, have you ever been to Sebastian, Florida? I have. I, well, I've driven through it. <laughs> Are you? I know some of the other guys in the combat hippies seem to be into the yoga and meditation and that stuff. Or Yeah, yeah, they're very big into the... the well, two of them are into yoga. One of them is into martial arts, actually. Okay. Arts. Are you into any of that stuff? Um, not really. <laughs> the poetry thing. You know, I grew up, I was a small guy, a very, very small guy. I was four foot nothing, uh, 80 pounds soaking wet until I was 16, 17 years old. I was a very small guy. Uh, and so I, though I did go out there and try different sports and everything. I played basketball for a little while. I played lacrosse. Um, ultimately, where I found my personal niche was in reading and writing. I was an academic. I enjoyed going to school. I enjoyed learning different things. Um, so as I've grown, though I 100% support yoga, and I actually would like to venture into that. My wife does hot yoga. Um 
I've always found writing to be more therapeutic to me, something that I would rather do. <laughs> right. Um, no, the reason I, I brought it up actually is there's this place uh, that's kind of in that vicinity in, uh, that I went to years ago. I went to college in Orlando, Rollins College. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Small. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's this place in Sebastian that's this uh, spiritual community that they do a lot of yoga. And that's what I was mentioning, as I, if you're into that. But, uh, um, well, so the one thing I was going to say, I, yeah, Anthony told me the next performance is in May. Is that the next one? Or you have? Yes, I believe it's, um, I want to say May 9th. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's down in Homestead, actually, the Seminole Theater. They, I guess they just uh, revamped, re, what's the word? Revamped it or revamped it? Uh, I was thinking of the, what word is that? Re renovated. 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 <laughs> Uh, I suppose they rented, or I guess they just renovated the entire theater, and so now they're trying to bring in acts um, for the grand reopening, and so we will be performing down there May nineteenth. Yeah, no, I've been meaning to go out uh, to one of your other shows, but I'm definitely going to try to make that one because uh, I love the videos, I love the message, and I really want to make it out to it. Since I know I've talked to Anthony and I've talked to you, I definitely have to uh, come out and see it live. Yeah, yeah, we can't wait to have you. Yeah. It's um, it's definitely an experience, one that I, I'm honored to be, uh, and I know that people throw around the word honored, but I, I truly am humbled to be a part of such a, an amazing thing. It's been so well received by the community and so well received by the media and everything. So I am honored to be a part of this. Well, actually, I mentioned to Anthony, I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, the whole uh, trauma-informed communities movement. Have you heard of that? What was that? This has been this movement across the country, like creating what they call trauma-informed communities. Have you heard of that? I want to say that I have, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, well, it's a little bit vague exactly what it is, but... Um, but, uh, like, for example, in Florida, they ha I believe it was actually the first one. And uh, I haven't been there, but like in Tarpon Springs, that they created a, basically, you know, educating all the social service agencies about trauma, all the police officers, and a lot of local community members, and having different policies in place to really try to create more of a, you know, a consciousness around uh, traumatic experiences. Nice. I like it. And they have one in Gainesville, too, as one. Uh, Very nice. Yeah. I'm surprised I haven't heard of it yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyway, well, one of the, what, the resources I really recommend that really got me into a lot of this stuff is the uh, ACES Connection. I don't know if you've ever been on that. I have not, no. Yeah, it's, uh, have you heard of the ACE study? Uh, no, I'm, no. <laughs> I'm over two. Okay, but uh, well, I mean, the, the study was one of the things that really blew me, blew my mind regarding the whole trauma thing. That it's like, it's something that uh, I feel like everybody should know about. That it's, it was basically a study done in the late 1990s by these two uh, doc, family doctors, and they um, they were just basically interviewing adults, like they were mainly middle class uh, middle class adults. They didn't have any particular mental health problems per se. They asked them all these questions, and they, uh, the questions they asked them, what, did they experience physical abuse in their home, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, was one of their family members incarcerated, was there domestic violence, and each one of these events they gave her number to, 
And what they found was is uh, like the hot, the greater the numbers, they called that the ACE score, and uh, uh, there were just really high level correlations between that. I mean, this is the obvious in developing like depression, anxiety, bipolar, all that stuff. But the thing that isn't as obvious is they're also more likely to get uh, heart disease, uh, COPD, cancer, diabetes, and all this other stuff. Cancer? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I'm sorry. It's basically the theory behind it all, but the scientific piece is that if you have these experiences growing up, that uh, basically it's in the simple way it's stress. And that... Um, more stress ends up damaging basically the three systems in your body, your nervous system, your immune system, and your endocrine, which is like your hormone system, like you get diabetes and all that. So the, those three systems are like govern all these, uh, the health of your of the body. So and, and the other theory about it is, is because of somebody has these experiences when they're growing up, they're more likely to engage in like... Uh, a lot of high-risk activities, like a lot of, you know, reckless drug use to sort of to medicate these symptoms. And, but even if the people didn't engage in these behaviors, they're more likely to get uh, diseases as adults. But, but, I mean, that's sort of the negative piece of it. But as you know, there's a lot of other great evidence. So a lot of people don't fit into that model. And they, you know, have the post-traumatic growth and end up doing great things despite having these experiences. So, yeah, well, that makes sense. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, but but I but I think the good thing about the negative stuff is that that uh, the, you know these aren't trivial experiences that should be minimized. It's not like not something that you just get over uh, easily. Yeah, I was actually reading a book that said um, relatively recently that was saying that very thing that um, a big problem with. Or maybe it was an article, I don't remember. But it said that a big problem with society today is that uh, as far as uh, the mental health of part of it, is that it's become almost like a competition. Uh, well, you say that you have depre depression, but I say that I've tried to kill myself. You right. say that you have uh OCD, well, I say that I can't, I have agoraphobia. Right. Uh, so it's a competition to see who's worse. Right. And, and uh, somebody else, uh, this other uh, guy who he had his own trauma, that's a good guy. And he, he brought that up when we were, when I, he was sort of talking to his own trauma history. And I said, well, mine, you know, I have my own shit too, but it's not like that. He, he made that comment. It's not a competition, which I, which I think is a good point. It's whatever your shit is, you have to deal with it. It's not, it's, it's your. And this other old lady that I know, she always talks about it, her way of saying it. It's like, your pain is your pain. If it's a little cut on your finger, it still hurts. It doesn't matter. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that would be a good poem around that kind of competition thing. I think that would be a good... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I like that, actually. <laughs> where where was the book that that was in? I'd like to check uh, that, that they were talking about that. I'm sorry? Where was the book that you read about the, that competition thing? Uh, you know what? I don't even remember. Um, it might have been. It might have been one of the post-traumatic growth books that uh, I've read lately. I don't remember exactly. I've been reading a lot about post-traumatic growth since in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, and so I've gotten a lot of random information that I could not attribute to anywhere. Gotcha. Well, anyway, thanks a lot for talking with me uh, today. Alan, right? That's, uh, yes, sir. 
The AS is just so your initials? Uh, yeah, Alan Steven. <laughs> well, I, ironically like, enough, there's a lot of there's a lot of Alan Miners out oh, there. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, you know uh, talking and diving into some of this stuff with you, uh, and keep on spreading the good message of hope and post traumatic growth. Thank you so much. It was an honor speaking with you. I look forward to seeing you guys in May. Sounds good. Thanks so much. All right. Have to see you. Bye.